Hello everyone, my name is Vanessa Menendez Covello and this is the Fresh Needle podcast where I interview fresh graduates and acupuncture students from all over the world and we discuss their experiences as students or running their own clinics, particularly in these very weird times of COVID-19. I want to tell you about an amazing opportunity that is opening up for new graduates who are looking to build their acupuncture practice. Nava Karman is a leading acupuncturist and herbalist specializing in fertility, gynecology, and the immune system. She has run the fertility support company for over 20 years. Nava is launching a new mastermind group exclusively for new graduates. This mastermind group will meet every two weeks to provide mentoring, guidance, and inspiration, and will focus on clinical skills and the practicalities of building a business. This will be a close-knit group of practitioners who will work together for a year to develop the skills and habits required to be clinically effective and financially successful. I recently did a session with Nava, and what I like the most about it is how safe I felt about discussing my fears and worries. I came out of it with a list of very practical, achievable steps to implement change. There are only six places in the group, so you need to apply quickly. Go to www.fertilitysupport.expert forward slash graduate. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is an expert acupuncturist, but one that has recently started working with new graduates. So our chat today is still going to be incredibly relevant to all of us fresh acupuncturists or acupuncture students. Nava Karman is a traditional Chinese medicine acupuncturist and herbalist who has specialized in treating female and male fertility, gynecology and obstetrics. I can't say it, obstetrics for over 20 years. Her London practice is focused on women who are 38 to 45 years old with complex and multifaceted fertility issues, such as autoimmune disorders and explaining fertility, failed IVF, recurrent miscarriage, hypermobility, PCOS, endometriosis, and other inflammatory conditions. Nava is also a committed educator, having run training courses and given lectures across the UK and internationally for a number of years. Last year, she launched her own online training platform for practitioners wishing to gain an advanced level diploma in fertility acupuncture. Nava is a member of the RCHM, a registered supervisor for the British Acupuncture Council and a mentor for Doula UK. Welcome, Nava. Good day, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for, for coming along. We've been seeing so much of each other lately. <laughs> it's been cool, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, I graduated and then I focused really hard on getting my clinic started. And then this COVID-19 happened. Mm. And obviously it's been terrible financially, but it's been great actually in a way emotionally because I've actually benefited so much from talking to other acupuncturists. Getting the network going, feeling exactly. part of the community. Exactly. So um, my first question is you have been practicing since 1999. Um, and, you know, I started working in technology in January 2000. And I remember very soon after that, um, we were hit with the dot-com bust and all the tech companies laid off a lot of people. And there was so much fear around me. So um, around that time, did that happen in your area of the world? Did it affect you? If it did, how did you navigate that? Well, I had to think back quite far when you asked me that question. Because um, when I graduated, I was 21, 20, 20 years old. And honestly, I think that all of that stuff just passed me by. I was too young to realize what was going on. So I just got on with my own stuff. Um, but at the time, I remember I was working my very last job before I realized I was not suitable for employment. And 
um, hopefully you're not going to cut this story out, but I was working as a receptionist in a, an estate agent uh, quite close to where I live now, actually. And it was a painful experience. The guy I was working for had had no education above the age of 16 and didn't really know what he was doing. And I was kind of starting to find myself running the office and thinking this is not the road I wanted to be sucked down into. And um, then the very last straw came. He came into the office one day and, you know, the, it, so long ago that you didn't have a mobile phone with a video recording because I would have made a fortune had I had it, this happened now. But he came into the office with a hole in his trousers and he oh. unwrapped a 10 pack of penguin bars, these like brown biscuity things. He stuffed them down his trousers and he walked around the office making pooing noises and pooing out chocolate bars. And no. it was a little sign from the universe going, Nava, get up, get out. This is it. <laughs> that is the last time I was employed. So I was busy dealing with stuff like that around that time and the very prosaic nature of how am I going to support myself when I don't have a job and I have like four clients. So I remember being where you are. That is a great story. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got some good workplace stories, but that one really... <laughs> That's it. <laughs> My husband um, also works in work. Well, he still works in technology for banking. And I think um, he tells me that once he made a trader so mad that the trader actually threw a phone at him. But this was 20 years ago, so the phone was attached to a cable, so it never actually got to my <laughs> Gosh, I remember that the bricks, right, that you used to get carried around in a suitcase. Yes, yes. No, this was like a desk phone. So it just kind of like made it one meter from the <laughs> from the desk and then fell. Um, so how how did you build your practice? I mean, um, 20, 21, that's really young. Um, in my um, cohort, there was only one student that, that was that young. And um, she's, um, she was actually my first guest, guest in the podcast, really driven, really motivated. Um, how did you go on about it? I come from a family where there is an entrepreneurial streak and my dad has uh, always, he's been a mixture of employed and self-employed, but I've always watched him drive his own business. So I think I learned without it really realizing a lot about energy and drive from him. And when I got started, I made pretty much every mistake it is possible to make. I threw money away on stuff that didn't work. I attracted the wrong clients. I didn't stand up for myself when I needed to and didn't know about boundaries. I learned on my clients because the wealth of information there is now, even even on fertility, for example, the wealth of information there's around now, that was absent. The only basal body temperature chart that was around when I started was a tiny little diagram in, in Matt Church's Red Book, which is behind me. So I learned on my clients. And my whole modus operandi now starting to work with graduates is to try and make sure that nobody has to do it the hard way like I had to. So when I built my practice, I built it on the back of making a ton of mistakes and wasting a lot of money. And slowly, slowly it built. I found the right venue and having that right venue was a great start. And then I figured out how to talk to my clients and I figured out how to get results because actually I don't think going to school teaches you how to actually treat. It's a bit like Passing a driving test, right, doesn't actually teach you how to drive. You've got to do it. So slowly, slowly it built. And then social media started to arrive and I started to harness the power of social media. I also worked in my college for a long time, which provided an additional source of income for me to kind of keep me afloat. And these things just sort of built together. And then I've noticed over the years my practice is taking jumps every time 
I have done learning. So now when I want to grow my practice or build my business, I turn inward. I don't go outward. I don't pay for advertising. I don't do anything outward. It's all about my mindset and what I'm doing. And so it's kind of grown exponentially over the last 20 years. That's amazing that you have, um, you know, that internal drive, because I remember, um, you know, when I graduated in, in technology, uh, the idea is always that you go work for a company and they are going to teach you everything. So technically, you know how to write code, but effectively you don't actually know how to work. So you go into a company and they tell you, you know, do this, do it that way. No, don't do it that way. But you come into acupuncture and then, you know, it's usually just you. It's you with your, you know, with your little clinic, be it at home, be it somewhere else. And um, I think there's a crisis of confidence that people suffer within the first few months mm. where they're like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I can do this. Yes. And there's not I'm not sure if this is still the case, but certainly when I started, there was no culture of supervision or mentoring. There was no culture of coaching and we got inadequate business preparation. And so when we were out, we were kind of thrust out, thrust out of the nest like baby chicks with nothing there to catch us. And I hope these days, I think in a lot of places, there is better discussion about that. There is discussion about the importance of, of, of community and uh, regional groups and supervision and mentoring and networking and, and all of those things that are out there and available. And I think it's better because that is ingrained from the beginning, you're not having to find it the hard way. Was that your experience that that was, that was there? Was that discussed when you were in college? I was very lucky that my college, um, the CCA, has a really good business module. It has a business module that runs um, through the last year. And then um, the outcome of the business, business module was a business plan. Mm. So we had to really think about a lot of things, maybe. Um, the whole supervision and mentoring thing might have been the thing that we didn't touch that much upon, mm. but um, the financials, the licensing, the how to get ready, um, there was a lot of talk around boundaries and things like that. Um, but I think what happens is, you know, it, one thing is to learn that in theory and a different one is once yeah. you're actually in the thick of it. We had to do a business plan too, but my business plan bore no resemblance to real life when I got out. Is that did you find that too, or did you actually find that your business plan supported you? No, mine one mine was brilliant spot on. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I think that was partly as well because um, you know my husband's um, a very senior manager, so he's very used to um, doing budgets, ah. doing like scenario planning. You know, when you work in technology for investment banking, one of the things um, what what they do is you build the what if models. So they have this risk calculation, and basically it's like what if there is a crisis and this thing happens. So actually, I had that kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> clinic which I think was quite above and beyond maybe <laughs> that was a very pertinent exercise really given what's happened in the world yes I mean I have to say I didn't quite plan for a black swan event <laughs> which the technologist inside me is kicking herself thinking how did you not do this um but yeah, it's still very different once you are out there, which I guess is really what prompted you to to create your um, your coaching, mentoring course for recent graduates, isn't it? It is. I did uh, for most of my educating career have done, have followed a mod, uh, a sort of a, 
a model, if you like, where you have to be five years in practice to work with me. I like the complex stuff. But then lockdown came and I had a chance to reflect. And I thought, you know, I future-proofed my business many years ago through fortunate combination of circumstances and foresight. And I thought, what about these people who are graduating or about to graduate? And what are they doing? Where's the support for them? Because they're graduating into a world that doesn't bear any resemblance to the world they thought they would be entering as a working acupuncturist. What can I do to step into that breach and share what I've learned about future-proofing your business so it's a stable, steady income that you can draw on um, at any point? And partly what I'm doing is is the mastermind that, that we're talking about today. And partly I'm trying to put out some free content that will help. I've got uh, a, a list, email list building and lead magnet free six-week course that's coming up because I thought, what can I do? What what tangible skills can I give that allow people to go out and start the process of learning how to build that that future-proofing into their business? Oh, that's fantastic. I have actually been listening to your um, free chats that you've been doing oh, on Monday. Monday Masterminds. Yeah. What I found, for example, and we'll, we'll touch that later in this in this conversation, but um, what I found when we attended the um, BXC town hall, um, I was looking because obviously I'm, well, I'm easily distracted to start with. That's, that's a thing. Uh, and because I used to work in technology, I'm always looking at, you know, a list of participants. You know, I'm, I'm interested in how Zoom works. <laughs> so I was trying to uh, reverse engineer Zoom. But something I noticed is it seemed to me that the immense majority of the people attending that town hall were actually very experienced practitioners. And I was quite worried. I was thinking, where are the newer people? Where are the people like me? Because, um, you know, I graduated in um, September last year. And I really worry about so, so many of us, how many of us actually are practicing? Well, not so much now, but did we, did people even get started? Or, you know, yes. I and would the hate to that you and I are part of on Facebook, I noticed. They're much more senior acupuncturists on there. There is not a presence of graduate students. Apart from the British Acupuncture Council graduate group, I don't see enough newbies on there. And maybe they just don't know about it. They haven't found their way to it. They don't know which groups to join. Maybe I'm not invited to their groups. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe there's a whole group of graduates that I just never see or hear because they've got their own group. But I don't think that's the case. I think there's one I haven't heard of it either. Represented. <laughs> Yeah, and um, it, it, it is worrying because I think particularly, you know, taking the profession forward, we really need to, to tend to that group. We need really need to be represented and we need to be, and I understand it. There's so much to think about. There's so much about, oh my God, my clinic is so new and we're in lockdown and I'm losing money. But at the same time, I feel like we cannot drop the ball in terms of direction of the BXC, of the direction of the profession, of how we want to represent ourselves. And also when you're newly graduated, it's interesting also since I've been talking to newly graduated people, I can really see a difference in mindset. So often when people have been in practice many, many years, they I've encountered resistance uh, for paying for good quality CPD, from continuing to do this work, from needing, from, from being open and willing to engage in social media and in list building and all of those things. Whereas when people are newly graduated, their minds are open, they're up for it, they're up for challenges and working hard and and being online and getting those results. And so they're there, they're ready, they just need a hand. And that's what I think 
the more senior members of the profession should and could be doing. And I'd like to see them represented, as you say, more in these community discussions we have on, on the forum, on the BXC um, website, on the Facebook groups, you know, reaching out to people who they can ask for help. Absolutely. And that's something that's been in my mind because we had these, what was the original group I was in on Facebook? It's called Acupuncture UK EU, mm -hmm. which seemed by the name to be for acupuncturists within all of the European Union, but somehow it seems to be UK centric. I always see only kind of like British acupuncturists or acupuncturists based in the UK. And then there was this home halfway through the lockdown of really heavy criticism of the BXE, in which I have to admit I engaged because uh, I ran my mouth really quickly and I was, <laughs> I was a bit scared and a bit angry. And then we moved to creating a, a group for the members only with the idea that then we can unite and, and present a united front. So my perception was that because this is my first year as a full member, not a student member of the BXC, and my perception is that there was a deafening silence for quite a while from the BXC um, until then there was the town hall. And now the, suddenly there's this river of information they're putting out, which is fantastic. I personally got some really good help this week about reopening my clinic for urgent care, but it was all a little bit um, jumpy at times. So <laughs> what are yeah. your thoughts? Membership organizations are tricky. I come at it from two very polarized perspectives. Um, Firstly, I should say that I'm aware, having been told by a number of very indiscreet people at the BXE, uh, that whenever I criticise the BXE, they they don't like they get very cross at me, because I have a little bit of um, presence in the acupuncture community, and I I should be towing the party line. So, first thing to say is I am going to criticise them uh, because I'm a member too. Uh, I struggle. I have struggled with the BXE for many years. I wrote a, a one a blog called Truth and Reconciliation in the BXC uh, about a year or so ago. And in it, I talked about the fact that there's a lot of change that was needed after the last CEO left. And one of the things the BXC always does when it thinks it needs to change is to go out to the membership to change. But what I don't ever see is any money being spent on coaching or on self-reflection um, in a transparent way amongst the staff and the people who run the BXC uh, on the governing board and I think that change has to start at home. It trickles down from the inside out. So I would really like to see some time and money in a transparent way being spent on them sorting out some of the internal issues I know are there um, in how the business or how the sorry the membership is run. I have over the years volunteered in so many capacities for the BXC and repeatedly that volunteering has been a disaster in the sense I created the first business support program that was completely taken over and taken away um, and I should say all my volunteering I never take any money for um, I don't even take money for petrol it's important to me that it's done for the right reasons and I'm able to do that so I do that um, I was asked to write a paper about forbidden points uh, that wasn't published I mean the, the litany goes on so I've largely stepped back from doing anything for the BXE um, I wrote I wanted. They, I was asked to do some videos. I spent time writing scripts for uh, recording. The frequently asked questions on the fertility front on the on the membership site had to be taken down because they were so wrong. And I offered to rewrite them. That hasn't been taken up. So I have my own kind of axe to grind with them. And I think the silence was deafening. 
you're right, for a very long time. Then I put my other hat on, which is a member of Doula UK, funnily enough, and having volunteered uh, firstly to run the membership and now for a number of years to run the complaints department, I know that no matter what we do, we never get it right. No matter what our intentions are, no matter how we try and communicate, how often we try and communicate, how hard we work behind the scenes, how transparent we try to be, we are slated from one end of the day to the other. And it is tough. And our Facebook group is harsh and people do talk about it and are very quick to criticize. And it is so difficult and so frustrating. So I really have a foot in both camps because I see that duality happening here with the BXC. So I think I come down, and I've sort of posted about this, I think I come down in the fact that I don't really want anything anymore from the BXC. I'm happy to consume whatever they give out, but I've stopped looking to them for support and guidance because it just hasn't been there for so long. And I tend to rely on myself and look to them for anything additional that they do as great. And I am still a member of the BXC because I believe in the principle. I believe in the importance of regulation. And I believe in that if I do something wrong, a client should have a place to go to complain about me and that I should be subject to discipline over it. And that if I'm doing, if I see something that isn't right with another practitioner, I have somewhere to talk about it. Um, I have had an an occasion to have that conversation over the years um, twice, where I have had a client come to me and been quite shocked at what another practitioner has done and had the opportunity to talk it over. Uh, I believe in when things go wrong, which I have in my practice. I had an incident with a client um, which shocked the hell out of me, but she wanted to report me. Fortunately, didn't come to anything because it was spurious, but I had the opportunity to go to the BXC and receive support, which was really good, and I really appreciated them there. So very long answer to your question, right? But really mixed feelings. Yeah, well, in in a way, I'm actually quite glad that you're saying that because it really mirrors my my feelings very very well in the sense that I did um, well, I did a course that was BAB uh, accredited, so we were BXC student members from day one um, because I do believe in in standards of of training, and I think my course was actually really really very good course. Um, and I have heard from acupuncturists that had incidents and they always said that the level of support that they received from the BXC, because, you you know, some other, um, you can get insurance anywhere. Mm. But yes, just because... Yeah, the RCHM if I wanted, yeah. But do you always get the, the same level of actual support through the whole process or is the insurance just kind of like, okay, we'll pay if if we need to? So it's one of these things where there are points in my life when I love the BXC, so for example, they processed our um, certificates incredibly quickly. It was, it was amazing like how quickly they issued them because they knew that we were in a hurry to get started with practice. And um, I was having problems with my local council for this urgent care um, thing. And, you know, Jennifer Norton actually wrote to them directly and within an hour. There's a reply from a council saying, yeah, she can go ahead. And that's invaluable. I'm like, okay, okay, that that was worth the money I paid this year. Mm. But at the same time, I don't know if it's because I come from such a structured corporate world. I've always had it so drilled in my head, um, communication in a crisis and how you respond. And so I wonder if I'm just being a bit unfair, maybe because, you know, I've, I've been trained in that kind of thing for 15 years. <laughs> so I'm expecting the same thing. Yeah. And I struggle with that. I struggle with the money and service aspect. I really do. Um, I know that people 
in the I'm not alone in that but and I know that there are people who are extraordinarily rude to the BXC staff on a really regular basis because of that conflict and I do not like that at all and I think that's right um, but that 650 pounds we pay woof, that's a lot of money right I wanted there to be a much faster response I wanted them to be have thought about stuff and be prepared and I mean, who could prepare for a pandemic? I hear myself talking, right? It's not exactly possible, but I would have liked them to have done better on saying, we're doing all of this. Let's give us a moment. And when they did say that eventually, what I found really interesting and that did throw me back to being uh, running Dooley UK was they said, we've been working 12 hour days. And instead of, I took that as great. They've been working really hard. I'm really glad. And other people were like, why are you rubbing that in our faces? So I don't think you can't please everybody all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a shame because I, I, I love them. Like, you know, I've made so many of, of, of them and they're so good. But at the same time, oh, yes, tone policing. Ah. So this is something that I've come across for many, many years now. So I am from Spain. I grew up in Spain. I've been in the UK for 20 years now. But so I have actually adapted my tone so much already. Uh, my husband, the first time he went to Spain to visit my family, he was shocked because he thought... We hated each other. <laughs> he was like, why are you always arguing? And I was like, what do you mean? We're not arguing. We're just talking. But for example, my parents, you know, they're chatting to me and they're talking about their plans for the weekend. And my dad says, oh, we're going to do that. And my mother says, no, you idiot. <laughs> you just, you know, you're, you're brain dead. <laughs> you can't remember what we did. And it was this way. And my dad says, my dad says, no, shut up. It was the other way. So... I understand that you can't always talk to people like that and you shouldn't call anyone an idiot, that's for sure. Maybe your family, <laughs> if they're okay with that, but definitely not, you know, not in a in a Facebook forum. But I've I was a little bit shocked at points at how there was a subtext of we cannot be critical in the least. And to me, it just felt a little bit of um tone policing that seemed to come maybe. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it seemed to come from a position of privilege as well. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you. I think also possibly from, from a place of fear in some people. They feel nervous about the impact of what that criticism could look like to the outside world. And I have to say myself, I'm not a big fan of criticizing the BXC where it's visible to the outside world. I'd rather keep it behind closed doors. But I'd like to be able to say it behind closed doors. I'd like to be able to speak my mind in a group. And I, yeah, I feel a bit concerned about that too. I think it's, so when it's, when the tone policing happens, I think that it's possibly also coming from an attempt to curate a tone in a group. And it's really hard to do that. Um, again, as an admin of a group, if you're not very careful, a group can descend, it spirals, right? The negativity spirals a lot easier than the positivity is created. So as you bitch and moan about it, it does change the feeling in the group into something that's not always so nice to be part of. And so I think coming in an attempt to come away from that, we try and keep the group a positive, productive, helpful space. But yes, I agree. What bit do you feel is the privileged bit? I feel that the people that are really, really stressed out because this uh, pandemic is literally killing this, their business um, should be able to express themselves safely somewhere. Mm. 
Am I, I making sense? Really interesting. You no, know, I'm quiet because I'm reflecting on what you're saying and I'm reflecting on my own response because I come from a place of privilege on this. And you and I had a conversation on Facebook which reflected that duality. I think it's important to say. So thinking about my own attitude to it, I think I have an overview of it. I have the knowledge that practices go up and down, that it's not only a pandemic that can crap all over your practice, that you can make mistakes, lose clients, have very scary fallow periods when you're starting. So I take an overview of the fact that I know that that up and down, this is an extreme version, but that up and down does happen. And that to find yourself in a place of security at the end of it allows you to have that overview. But I totally take your point that in being in that place, it's much harder for me to access those emotions of fear and anger because my business isn't touched in the same way. I very much hear what you're saying. Yeah, it was just one of those things that I thought that um, it's always... And also for me, it, it kind of in a way, it almost also brings it back to the diversity issue. So, for example, I am Spanish. There's still a lot of Spanish in me. So if I don't go blah and explode a little bit, then I'm going to, that's not going to be healthy for me. And I understand mm -hmm. that I, I don't need to, um, to vomit my anger everywhere <laughs> or my fear. But I am worried um, that a lot of the people that are quiet because they feel that they cannot criticize a situation or, a, or, a, or an organization, what they might do then is actually then go walk away. Yes. So if I feel that I cannot... But um, equally, if the atmosphere is too, too angry, too vociferous, too yeah. negative, right, they won't voice that either. I'm not sure there's a winning formula in this. Yes. Except to always try and just be brave if you can in expressing whatever it is you've got to express. Notwithstanding all of our bitching and moaning about it and our discussion about it, I think the important point to make is that neither of us are actually going to leave the BXC. No, absolutely not. And so within that bound, we still commit to the importance of what we're doing and the importance of the organization. And with our money and our actions, we support the organization. Yes, absolutely. And I'm with you in that because I actually really do fully believe in the BXC. I believe in what they do. And um, since the town hall, I, I've, I've seen output from them and I've been really happy with, with the volume of output that has come. So there's been the town hall, there's been webinars, there's been documentation. Like I visited their website Although today. I did manage to get into the webinar. Did you? Um, I didn't even try because I thought, you know what, for once, let me just be quiet and I'll watch it on <laughs> on replay. So I hadn't, uh, I was saying about this, uh, I was doing a, a Zoom uh, complex cases discussion last week and I started off with this discussion. Um, and I think that one of the people from the BXC actually heard me say this. I'm going to repeat this. So they don't believe I'm hiding behind a closed call to say this, which is that I was really disappointed that they could... They only had capacity for 100 people on that call and that one of the most instrumental people for that call was not allowed to, or couldn't be on that call because they couldn't, the room was full. So I often feel like the BXC snatches defeat from the jaws of victory. And I don't know whether it's because they didn't pay for a premium version or they did the upgrade and didn't have time or didn't make the time to test it before they went live. But it's stuff like that that frustrates me enormously about the BXC where they try and get it right and somehow it goes wrong. 
Yeah, my my theory on that because I was watching the you know the, the conversation about the webinar happened live on on Facebook, <laughs> and my theory again from reverse engineering it seemed to me that they had switched from the paved version of Zoom to the free one, which only lets hundred people in, and as someone who worked in technology, what I would have done is I would have stopped, and either fixed it and tried again, or I would have rescheduled or something like that because it really causes a lot of anguish but then again there's part of me that thinks why are we getting so anguished about it when we can watch it later so was that was it because people really wanted their questions answered in real time yes that's what it was they wanted to hear directly from the BXC following the previous one what was going on and that's a shame because the town hall was so good for that actually there were about a bazillion questions and all of them, I understand, got answered. So it's a shame that <laughs> there was that snafu. But Yes, absolutely. So all in all, how would we sum up our feelings about the BXE? Well, in my case, that is going to take some self-reflection because I've realized um, how um, selfish I am when I think about all of this. Like I was worried about my practice and then, for example, um, this week when um, Jennifer sent the email out to my council and within an hour I had a positive response after having waited for a week to hear back from my council, then to me that moved it from, I'm not fully thrilled to, oh my God, I love the BXC. (laughs) So I am a bit worried about my own variability and how unsteady I am in my love for the BXC and how, how personal it is. Yes, it is. It's, but it's personal for everyone. I feel it personally. Even years later, I feel that stuff personally because we have a, a wish to be loyal, I think. So it's and a, and a want to belong and, and have have our, our membership feel like it's working for us and with us. So I think we do take it personally. Yeah, and they did issue a call on the town hall. They said, if you are not fully thrilled you can volunteer you can apply for positions I cannot somehow I cannot see recent graduates doing that I I, I cannot I cannot imagine someone who's recently out in the world saying yes I'm going to be a really vocal part of this organization I don't I don't know if people have it would and I really want people to do that but I think it's it's a little bit scary I mean um, my professional life has always been of being the loud person that highlights the problems in the room and then <laughs> then getting in trouble for that. So I'm a bit used to being stoned. <laughs> for... that, then you have the perfect, perfect qualification for being a volunteer for the BXC. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, I do I just actually. That I'm hugely grateful for the volunteer work that is done. My own husband sat on the GB for six years. I know how hard and unrewarding it can be. So no matter how much you bitch and moan, if you're listening to this BXC, please keep doing it. <laughs> I know it also can feel like a thankless task as a volunteer for Dual UK. I think when you go to, to do that volunteering, you've got to do it out of a sense of your own uh, self-fulfillment and your own wish to be part of something and not because you're expecting validation from the outside world because volunteering in a membership organisation is, you know, from both sides, it's a thankless task despite everybody's best intentions. Absolutely. I, I personally know of one um, one person in the governing board of, of the BXC who uh, I, I think got personally 
hurt by all the criticism. And then I felt incredibly guilty because that's not really what we were aiming for. Um, so I think probably wouldn't like to be, I don't like being criticized either. Mm. But then again, how do we move on? How do how do we push an organization to become what we would like it to be for us? It's a push and pull, right? So they need to be open to receiving this and the spirit in which it's given. We need to hear back from them, their thoughts about it and how they're going to change. And I do think it also it's about modeling that good. That comes back to my point that I'm always banging on about modeling the behavior they'd like to see. So if they'd like the membership to behave differently, to do the work, to then I think that has to be reflected in the work they do themselves. Just keep talking, right? Even if it's uncomfortable, even if, uh, you know, Brene, Ray, Brene Brown talks a lot about sitting in discomfort and how important it is. So even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not what you want to hear, not the appearance you want it to have, and even if it feels uncomfortable to sit here and listen to this, actually it's really important because from this kind of discomfort comes progress, movement, reflection, thought, feedback, all the good stuff. So I think if you can take something, not personally, but professionally, if you like, if you can hear it and go, okay, I'll take the bits on board that work. I'll leave the bits don't. Here's how I respond. Here's how I move the needle. This conversation is a valuable tool. Yes, and I think I think in a way with the BXC, when we were all getting a little bit up in arms, um, we just really wanted them to help us. So it was a cry for help. It was not necessarily trying to imply that they were horrible, horrible people and we hated them. Um, we were just a place of fear, right? What's going to happen to my livelihood, my practice, my income? Reassure us. Tell us you're, t tell us you're on it. it was, it's like a parent-child relationship, right? Yes. That, that is what I was thinking. I was like, oh, my God, am I projecting? <laughs> Are you my mom? <laughs> mom. <laughs> tell me that my shoes. <laughs> Asking them to take care of us uh, in exchange for the money we and show us loyalty and communication and support and, and boundaries even, right? So yes. about how that parent-child relationship is managed. So I think that's the conclusion. Be access staff. We love you. We do. <laughs> we do. We appreciate you. We know it's hard and unrewarding on many levels. Oh God, but yes. please talk to us more. <laughs> and, and, and do the work internally as well as asking us to do the work. Yes, but now we can do, we've been cleared for urgent care, which um, I still don't know how much urgent care I will get between now and um, resuming my normal practice. But, you know, it feels like that little light that you see that indicates the end of that tunnel. So could you give me like a little um, preview of what you would tell graduates that now have to resume their very, very baby clinics that are feeling a bit insecure about it all from a practical point of view or from a business point of view do you mean like as in ppe lockdown or do you mean it's in marketing and kind of business model i think post lockdown kind of like oh my god how we do resume is there an opportunity here because i think there's an opportunity here but i i would like to hear your thoughts i think the opportunity comes in saying something to the public about who we are as professionals and how we're going to go about resuming our care. I think there's a lot of people who will be coming out of lockdown, who will be clients of ours who might not have accessed acupuncture previously, who have really realized and taken and will hopefully take advantage of, of this realization that in, in lockdown, that there has been nothing there to support them, that their health issues have come to the fore, that they're dealing with 
as we say at FOGO, fear of going out rather than fear of missing out, that there's going to be a lot of emotional stuff that comes to the forefront that we can take care of. And if we are able to communicate the level of professionalism with which we're going back into practice, that will be huge. We can explain to them how we're taking care of them, how we can show them and demonstrate that we understand the importance of PPE and, and virus transmission. If we can show and demonstrate that we can take care of them to a really high standard and still achieve results, I think that will speak volumes for us as a profession, not just as an individual case-by-case -case scenario. And I think that's a fantastic point because I think a lot of the fear that came throughout during these weeks um, in the different forai um, on the internet was about um, when people found out that osteopaths and physios were um, either doing urgent care when we couldn't or doing normal care because there have been a lot of um, cases reported of that mm -hmm. and they are doing dry needling. And then I think people were feeling almost a bit cheated because the whole procedure that we do as acupuncturists to ensure clean and safe needling is really, really quite sophisticated. And sometimes you go to an osteopath and they've not washed their hands and they open the needle and they just put it down to the hilt and you're thinking, I really hope that needle doesn't break. <laughs> <laughs> so in a, in a way, it was, it was again, I, I wonder if we are going back to that kind of like family relationship where you want to say, you know, mom, my, my brother's not, <laughs> my brother's not behaving as well as I am. It's a whole other can of worms, right? The dry needling versus acupuncture movement. Whew. And in America, particularly, they're, they're really dealing with that on a vast and much more complex level than we are. Yeah, it's actually one of the things that worries me uh, about us as a profession is, are we going to keep losing ground to, to, die, to dry needlers? I think that's a, a distinct possibility until we get our communication right. And I mean, that as individuals, practitioners start talking about the level of training we have and how we work with all, as you say, with reference to all of our clean needle technique and until the BXC gets their act together with some better PR. So it's out there and we've got a message that's coherent enough that it can be repeated to everybody about who we are as health professionals and how we work. Yeah. So, <laughs> In fact, you know, on that subject, it's interesting, I'm a member of a group. I saw an advert this morning um, that I've asked to be taken down from a practitioner who is selling a 12-week online herb course. So take acupuncturists to total clinical competence in 12 weeks. I've seen that. Right. And I really worry about stuff like that. I don't think it's good. I don't believe in it. And I think that there has to be some way to differentiate us in the eyes of the public as acupuncturists from dry needlers or from osteopaths or from physios who do needling. Such a different beast. And the public needs to understand that difference. And that comes down to PR and communication, both on a macro and a micro level, the individual practitioners and the BXC. Well, I feel like we have... Fix the world today. We moaned it into submission. <laughs> no, but you know, I, I, uh, because you and I talked about having this, this podcast and this conversation, and as you know, I was a bit like a bit scared, but um, I think talking is better than festering, and I think um, silent resentment of things is really not a healthy position to be in. Mm. And I think even the loudmouths like myself <laughs> have well, a right to be a bit loud sometimes. <laughs> can I just say, you, you say that, but I think that we, as women, this is, becomes a, actually I think, a, a, I don't know if the word is patriarchal or misogynist, but I think that traditionally we refer to ourselves negatively when we speak up. 
so you say loudmouth, right? But I don't see it that way. And as I've got older, I think the more important society doesn't like an angry woman, doesn't like a loud woman, and equates loudness and passion and speaking up and not always being positive um, with something really negative and destructive. And yet there are podcasts. There's a guy out there called Mark Mason who does uh, his stuff is based. He's I think he calls them. Uh, I get a, an email from him every Monday. They're called motherfucking Monday emails. <laughs> That's right? fantastic. Right? Yeah. But, right. So we're saying fantastic. But what if a woman had sent that email? So I think there's something to reflect on about how I've referred, I've just heard myself doing, talking about bitching and moaning. But actually, I'd like to reframe that now for myself and say, what we're doing is we're having a discussion that I think needs to be had, that contains criticism, that contains positivity, that contains contains thoughts about how things could be different, contains our fears and our hopes. But I don't think that there's anything loudmouth about it. And I think it's really important that we as women are able to to voice our discontent without being perceived as bitches or negative or bringing the profession down or, or any of those negative attributes that I do not believe that if this had been a conversation between men would have happened. I remember feedback when I was a student. Uh, you, as you can imagine, I'm have been outspoken all my life. I have a Dutch mother and Australian father. And um, the feedback was clever but difficult. I, I hear you. I don't think they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've, I've been hearing that feedback yeah. all my life. Well, it was yeah. livid, was not positive, right? It was used as a way to decredit me, discount me, demoralize me. It's not the way it should be. So let's reframe this conversation to one that needed to be happen, that needed to happen, that should be happening, and that it's important for other practitioners in our predominantly female profession here to hear us have. All right, I, I feel like I need a cup of hot chocolate right now <laughs> and a little lie down. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me on. This has been great. It's been really good fun. It's been um yeah, it's been so much fun. So for our listeners, Nava's webpage is www.fertilitysupport.co.uk. Her graduate mastermind, which has one place left only, is www.fertilitysupport.co.uk forward slash graduate. And her Instagram is fertility support, all one word. She runs mini mastermind sessions each Monday at 1 p.m. on Facebook on her page. So just send her a friend request if you want to be notified when she starts her live sessions. Thank you so much, Nava. Thank you, Vanessa. I'll speak to you soon, eh? <laughs>